welcome to another Folk Roots Radio. I'm Jan Hall. All the best in Folk Roots Americana, singer-songwriters and blues, and artist interviews. On Folk Roots Radio, as we love to say every week, we're all about the music and the people that make it. Now coming up, we have something a bit different for you. We're going to be joined by Peter Chapman, founder of Edmonton, Alberta-based record label Fallen Tree Records who specialize in folk roots and alternative music. I've been really impressed with how Fallen Tree Records support their artists, so I thought it would be fun to chat about how they are coping, not only with life in COVID times, but also a music industry that has moved so heavily into streaming as the primary way people listen to music. So settle down and enjoy Peter Chapman in conversation on Folk Roots Radio. Like a dog in a cage On a bed made of stone Day is darker than night Leaves a chill in your bones I did a dime in the blues Hard time on my heart Bars on the door Barbed wire in the yard Papers in hand Inmate discharged Thrown to the wolves Bag of clothes in my arm Address on a page A place to make a new start But it's so hard to change When you know who you are The path I've been down I try not to retrace But there's nowhere to turn They're just holding my place Hate, conquer, love Was all I'd ever seen more easy to drown than swimming upstream So I slipped through the cracks with the busted and broke foregone conclusion the butt of the joke the picture that's drawn well, I tried to erase but it's carved into stone they're just holding my place around my soul 
Let's sing about things that can't take from us Living there with rock and roll Day by day, night by night I'm so tangled up just listened to a bit of Holding Your Place, a fabulous song from Calgary singer-songwriter T. Buckley's great new album, Frame by Frame, moving into whole new love from the equally fabulous Edmonton-based singer-songwriter Joe Nolan from his awesome new album, Scrapper. Now, what these two songs have in common is that apart from obviously they're both singer-songwriters, both artists have recently joined us on Folk Roots Radio to chat about their music and the albums in question. Wonderful conversations, the both of them. But that's not the only things they have in common, because both albums were also released on the fantastic record label Fallen Tree Records from Edmonton, who specialize in folk roots and alternative music, and I think are doing a great job supporting their artists. So I thought, well, it would be fun to talk to the people behind the label, to learn more about the artists they promote and the music they put out but also how they are coping, not only with life in COVID times, but also a music industry that has moved so heavily into streaming as the primary way people listen to music. It's my great pleasure to welcome Peter Chapman, the founder of Fallen Tree Records, to Folk Roots Radio. It's great to have you join us today. Thank you, Jan, and thank you very much for those two interviews you mentioned as well with Joe Nolan and T. Buckley. Uh, really honoured to be with you today. I think you founded the label in 2018 is that right mm-hmm. and and since then and you know not to gush too much about the label but i've just been really impressed with the 
the way you put the music out, the the way you support the artists. To me, this this comes over as a labor of love. I I was never sure whether we should say, okay, open your books and let's see how much money you make. But uh, <laughs> I get the impression that this is something you really love to do. Absolutely, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it's I've never I've never been a musician, and I think a lot that often people kind of assume that if you're working for a record label or if you're into music, you're you're in, into it because of playing music but it, for me it really is about the experience of listening to music it was a dream to be able to, to to suggest music to other people and then to be able to support artists to to reach their audiences is is a real honor so yeah it's i i don't struggle with going to work every day tell us a little bit about your background because you just told us you you're not a musician people hearing your accent will realize that you come from the same part of the world as i do from the uk but Tell us a little bit about how you ended up going down this road. For sure. So actually, um, I studied maths and computer science at university and was a software engineer for a couple of years. But I found I was not so interested in writing data translators as I was in listening to music and, and discovering new sounds. And so I would spend my evenings kind of listening away to music and going to the record store and, and picking up seven inch singles and 12 inch singles and albums and such like volunteered for a radio station over in the UK, a hospital radio station. And then when I moved to Canada, I saw it as an opportunity to kind of take the leap and see if I could make a career in music, which to start with was just in retail. And, and then um, luckily enough, I was able to get a position at Stony Plain Records. It was one of those times when you, you hear everyone kind of saying, follow your dreams and, and that, and I, I tried it. So you were working in a record store in Edmonton then? Mm-hmm. And, and then yeah. I guess thinking about what the next move would be as far as the music career <laughs> yeah i mean you you never know when it's i mean a record store is is very different of being working retail is is quite hard from its own end still being surrounded by that music and, and being exposed to so much music as a result of being in a, in a record store is really fun because it was hmv you're not exactly sure where the career is going to go and then of course they were changing at that point this was back in 2005 2006 and they were making their big move into gaming and other merchandise t-shirts and all that stuff and it really that wasn't in my interest whatsoever at all um even the dvd end of it was challenging for me like i i didn't know anything about i don't know anything about movies so i I started to not be as good an employee because i could only recommend on you know what became about 40 percent of their stock you start to to realize that well the scene is changing how how am i going to change and then you you went to to stony plain i'm not even sure how many years stony plain has been around but i um, Over 40 now, yeah. It's... I was going to say, I was going to guess 25, but a long while. And they have been very successful. They built a a strong niche in the, the blues end of things, obviously with Holger Peterson being involved. But can you talk a little bit about your time there and how that set you up to, to start your own label? So Stony Plain Records, for those who don't know, is an Edmonton-based blues and roots label been going for, for those years and, and has worked with country artists as well so perhaps their biggest um canadian signings are actually in the country realm like called london ian tyson so when i started at stony plain it was kind of uh, they had just put out corblund's the second album that they were working on with him hearing my eyes like a highland steer and were beginning to work on horse soldier horse soldier all three of the albums that Stony Plain release of Cool Blums have gone gold now in Canada. So that was kind of where a lot of the attention was when I first started work there. 
was on those releases and of course Ian Tyson was still producing music and is still producing music as well with his Ian and Sylvia album that came out last year. I started kind of actually in the shipping receiving end of it and then staff changes and ended up kind of being in essentially the title as operations manager but it was kind of the overseer of anything back end. Holger always did the front end and the A&R end of things. But yeah, anything to do with release setup and marketing was on my desk. Was that when you started to think, well, you'd kind of like to to have your own label, you know, to to bring your own vision to to what you were doing? Yeah, you start to get those ideas and you start to hear music that doesn't fit into Stony Plain, but you're kind of like, well, how how can I make this work? And like Stony Plain was already at capacity from a release point of view, like um, it's a it's a small company, and and now it's been bought. The the, the catalogue has been bought by Linus Entertainment, uh, who also run True North and Bobby Alice now, and uh, Children's Group, and also run the IDLA distribution network. So they've they've now switched to a much bigger um, team. But at the time, uh, Stony Plain was you know four staff with with also a Holger's partner, working partner, financial partner um, Alvin Johns. He was kind of not in the office, but he was very much involved on a day-to-day basis. And so, yeah, Holger never really wanted to expand beyond that because he always wanted to be involved in every release and have have a say in it, which totally makes sense. I think there's a it means that you can really be passionate about every project when you're involved at that level, rather than going to other labels where you start to have to be okay that you don't know anything about this album that you're putting out. That wasn't what he wanted. But that was really inspiring as well, just to see how... He worked because he was so passionate about the music and the and the musicians that featured on all of the albums that he put out. So like he he could tell you a story about every single session musician on on the on any one of those albums. But yeah, you start to kind of wonder. Well, it's not necessarily my perfect music taste. So what what would I want to put out? And you do start to kind of build up a, a few artists in your mind that would be people that you would really be excited to work with. Who did you start with when you started the label? Well, one of the, to be honest, one of the biggest ones that was on in my radar was 100 Mile House. I've been really impressed with them for a number of years with what they were doing and their honesty on stage and their production quality on their recordings. And they actually came to the Stony Plain office for a visit and a chat. It just wasn't a good fit or at the time like with capacity and that kind of thing externally as well like we had become me and my wife had become friends with Pete and Denise a little bit so we had those had those discussions before we really got going and and they were on board but having them early on was was really encouraging John Brooks was also one of was our first signed artist which is kind of funny in a way because he was had had been working with other labels and had a storied history as um he's been on your show before hasn't he john oh um, yeah i i mean i'm a big fan of john brooks yeah yeah and he's such a great storyteller and so we met at the evans and Vogue music festival and yeah he was he was intrigued and enamored with the idea of falling tree and um actually i mean to this day every email i get from him he's always so very kind and considerate and um <laughs> always leaves me with something to think about yeah no i mean i i can't speak highly enough about his music now i think you put out the 10-year reimagining of moth and rust fabulous right. 2009 album that was pretty much acoustic and then he came back with the 2019 version which has the band the outskirts of approval on it with neil crookshank wonderful fiddler john showman and then vivian wilder who 
uh, we'll talk about in a few moments because she's another one of your artists. But that was the the first album that you put out from John. Um, yeah, we did reissue and we did repress actually as in the Shepherds and uh, No Mean City. We put out digitally on for John as well. So yes, but yeah, North North Two was the first new release that we did with John Brooks. Yeah, no, which is a it's a fabulous album, and I have both versions of it. And might be a good <laughs> point for me to say, you know, if you you're enjoying this interview, if you love the music that we play on Folk Roots Radio, and you want to support the artists during these strange times and the label, we are talking to. Peter Chapman from Fallen Tree Records. Please consider buying their music, not just streaming it. We're going to get into the whole issue of streaming versus buying music a little later. But working with an established artist like John, was that intimidating for you? You know, I mean, 100 Mile House are also pretty established. Uh, Peter Stone, Denise Mackay as well. But how did that feel for you? Is this sort of like it, it, more of a statement, I guess, getting him onto the label? Yeah, there was a certain amount of a statement being made with that move. It is intimidating, those first few conversations, because you're not sure. I mean, it's kind of like you're kind of scoping each other out. You're trying to see if if you're going to really represent each other and if you're going to be a good fit. So, I mean, it's got to be a kind of a, a personal connection as well as a business connection. Yeah, it's it's an interesting first few conversations that happen. And then when you actually kind of get to the nitty-gritty of the contract and you're not sure, like you don't want to push too hard one way and they don't want to push too hard. And, it's you know, you're going back and forth. So yeah, there's there's definitely that, and well, I go in anyhow wanting to and and laying it pretty down clearly that you know I'm I'm coming on as a team member, and we only want to succeed for you. Like we we don't want to take anything away from you. We only want to increase what you're already getting. Yes, we're going to take our share because we also need to get paid. We want to make sure this is beneficial for for both parties. Ultimately, like we don't want to be working with someone where we end up just taking and not giving. Now we can't take that old letter from my first lover. No, we can't take anything unto that some great other. Every long sock and every diamond We can't prove it Cause everybody knows That if it's not love We can't take it When we go We can take our ex-wives' laughs And our mother's worry lines we can take off that which we gave to those Of whom we had to help And of whom that taught us most But if it's not love, we can't take it when we go Take it when we go, when we go, wherever we go. If it's not love, we can't take it when we go. To that place where my heart no rust cannot touch us past this dust. If it's not love, we can't take it 
we go And all our prizes and impulse buys Thee will be faster praised And into one bargain bin they'll be casually thrown Until what's favored and are forgotten Will delicately be told If you're not love, kid, we can't take you When we go We can't take it when we go When we go, wherever we go If it's not love, we can't take it To that place where moth nor rust cannot touch us past this dust. If it's not love, we can't take it when we go. That's John Brooks with his band The Outskirts of Approval and the fantastic When We Go from the wonderful Moth Norras 2, which came out in 2019 on Edmonton, Alberta's Fallen Tree Records. Peter Chapman, founder of Fallen Tree, is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. Does anyone get a multi-album deal these days? I mean, they used to be the big thing and... You know, we talk about three album deals and, and that mm. sort of thing. Do, do people do still do that sort of thing? Or is it more typically just on an album by album basis? No, there are definitely album deals or deals which are structured in that way. It might be more like track based, like there might be like a 30 track deal or something. And that's been a really interesting development over the last, well, I guess since I've been in the industry, so since 2005, the change in how those are structured. Back at the start of that period, I guess it was always an exclusive master ownership, that there was very few licenses going on. Um, so that meant that the artist, once the song was recorded, the record label would own that recording and, and obviously have to pay the artist their royalties from it. And that, that meant that the for, the for the life of the recording, essentially, that the, the record label was able to continue to manufacture and continue to distribute it. With as digital emerged, that became less attractive to some artists who felt like, well, there's a point where now I can distribute my own music and if I've built up my own name, then I can make more money if I can get my copyrights back again. So then we have we ended up kind of going down more the licensing road, which is where most of the deals are that are happening now are licensing deals. And that's kind of one of the big arguments around the Taylor Swift thing, if people have heard about mm. that conversation. Like her first album deals were were master rights deals. So she didn't she doesn't have to write, she can't 
get them back without buying them back from the owner right now. So that's why she's re-recorded them. Because um, the only thing that the, the record label owns is the recording, not the, the song. So she can record them again, as long as it's not in a contract that she can't record them again, which is also coming into contracts these days. Basically to protect the label so that they know that they've got that sound recording that they can continue to sell and someone isn't going to re-record it and then just kind of cut off the label. Yeah, the, the, that movement towards licensing is, is a big thing. and But within that, there's still definitely the impetus to, for a label to be part of that artist's career. And if they're going to invest in an artist, then they want to see the the kind of the consequence of that investment over multiple albums. So because once once an artist reaches a certain level and then essentially you're kind of almost guaranteeing a certain level of income every release as well. So you put that investment in. So, yes, you want to keep on getting that investment back from from future projects. Wow. Um, from our end, we have. Where when I started, I guess twenty eighteen, so pre COVID, and I wanted to be as artist friendly as possible. So all of our deals are actually on a album by album basis. So I don't have multi album deals, and actually that's that's more to give the artist flexibility than it is to to say that I'm not investing in them. And it's interesting because some artists see that a multi album deal is better, and some see it as worse. So it depends on your perspective as to as to the relationship that you want to have with a label. And and everyone has a different perspective on that. And I mean, sometimes the label gets a bad rep because, you know, they take money from the artist, but at the same time, there's a team of people working behind the scenes for the artist to, do, to, to promote them and, and to get them out there. So unfortunately, those or re, the reality is that those people have to get paid as well. The, the label is the business end of it, I guess. And people don't like to think about that when they think about art. Yeah, no, it's i mean i can see that the you've got to really have a strong feel for the business especially you know in in these in these changed times i mean you know covid is bad enough but i mean the way that the industry has has changed towards uh, streaming which i, I want to hold off a couple of seconds because i do want to uh, talk about the genres that you focus on because you've got folk and roots and alternative uh, <laughs> we were just uh, talking about John Brooks there, interestingly, in the outskirts of, of approval, his band, he's got Neil Cruikshank, I mentioned before, John Showman on fiddle, and then Vivian Wilder, who plays bass in this situation, mm -hmm. but also has her own career as an alternative artist. And to me, it does sound very much like Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees on yeah. some songs, but not on others. I mean, she is... Uh, when you listen to her post-romantic EP, which came out last year, uh, there's quite a variation on it. I mean, clearly feels like alternative music. But the question is, where is your love? I mean, is your love for both or is your, your love more for one than the other? Well, this is an interesting conversation. as well. So, And going back to John, even, um, John and I have been chatting recently about kind of genre boundaries and, and what they even really mean. And there's a lot of discussion now that, like, when people are thinking about playlists on Spotify, that genre boundaries are getting blurred and people aren't really listening for genres anymore. They're listening for moods. So if you're in the mood for, I don't know, drinking wine on the beach or something, then you want a certain sound rather than necessarily a certain genre. So I think the genre tags have done us really well to, and, and do do us really well for marketing and for kind of helping people to kind of find where they might like music but at the same time they can be quite restrictive and and so yeah this is kind of something that john and i've been talking about because he's his next project is 
probably not going to be very <laughs> folky. So where is my love? My love is in the discovery of, of the music. And if someone's doing something interesting, this year we put out Boomerang's Echoland, which is uh, Celtic infused, but with contemporary sounds to it. Like they've, they've got pedals attached to the harps and um, you know, the five string fiddle and just doing really interesting things with a very traditional sound. And and yet, and then we've also got Vivian Wilder, who is bringing in the drum kit and and tweaking electric guitar sounds and and doing that kind of thing. So, like the Fallen Tree name itself was was inspired when we were out on the west coast and seeing those fallen trees, which are feeding everything around them, and and you see like new life growing out of those fallen trees, and I, I kind of like that idea that there's these new shoots coming out of what has gone before. And I feel music does the same thing. Like we hear something that an artist has created and interpret it in our own ways. And the way we experience music is entirely unique, even though we're listening to the same thing as someone next to us, the way we experience it will be completely different. When I think of music and what I want to put out, really it's, it's music that I feel is going to connect to people in those ways where they're going to have reactions which are unique and special and, and a bit different. So as long as it's doing that, I think I'm good. I guess that's the same way that I do my radio show. I mean, I, whenever I'm writing to artists about songs they've sent me, I would say, well, I, you know, I can't guarantee airplay because quite honestly, I'm buried in music these days. Really good music. But, you know, I curate my show based on feel and mood, as you say. And, and, and it's interesting you say that because we, we started the conversation with Vivian Wilder saying that post-romantic as an EP, I mean, yeah, you definitely feels alternative. But, you know, there's, there is a lot of uh, different changes in pace and mood on that EP itself. Now, I think there's a new album coming from Vivian, right? I think coming out next yep. year. Yeah, it should be a, um, probably springtime, Easter, uh, just uh, March, April, May, yeah. June time. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, it's I, what I, I don't believe. Yeah, um, but that pro process, I guess, begins now. Obviously, um, in the digital world, we we're not just doing, um, we're not just dropping an album to bridge us between post romantic, which was a six track EP, and kind of as the title suggests, was was a lot of songs about after romance or romances that never were. That never got started in the first place so kind of healing from from that whereas this new album i don't believe is a little bit more about self-confidence and and finding self-worth but within that obviously the the um the hardships that we all face when we when we doubt ourselves to bridge between that there's a song on both actually ricky and on the original version it was quite a it was still an upbeat a full band track but the bassist from July Talk heard it and his friends with Vivian Wilder and was kind of like, hey, I think we could do something a bit different with this and suggested some increasing the tempo a bit, adding a, a driving beat and it uh, it sounds completely like a completely different song. Vivian's also done this amazing video. It's it's actually a it's kind of her obsession with Ricky Lafleur from the Trailer Park Boys. So the video is set in a trailer as well and it's uh, very much in the Trailer Park Boys kind of ethos. And so we, we're having a little bit of fun but as we bridge between post-romantic and I don't believe by uh, celebrating that end of Vivian. If you check out her socials right now, it's all very trailer park boys-ish, I guess. Um, but that won't be how we, we go into the album, but it's just kind of, we're having a bit of fun with it. 
Hi there, this is Moonfruits. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio with Jan Hall. That's Vivian Wilder with Ricky the Harp Mix from her forthcoming album. The album is going to be I Don't Believe is the title. It's coming out on Fallen Tree Records sometime in the spring of 2022. Peter Chapman, the founder of Fallen Tree Records, is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. You know, what can I tell you? I've really been impressed with this label since it arrived on the scene in 2018. I love the way that they engage people like myself as a DJ in the music, because that is really important. You know, I get completely buried in music these days. I mean, whether it's digital or whether it's on CDs, I probably get a lot less CDs than I used to because I actually do encourage people to, you know, hook up with me first digitally. And then if I ask for a CD, you know, if I need one, I'll, I'll definitely ask for one. But uh, things have changed quite dramatically. So, Peter, I did want to ask you about how streaming has changed things, because 2018, I mean, that isn't that long ago. Well, we're talking like three years, but things have changed so dramatically. I have been completely amazed by how quickly the artists have jumped on board with streaming as the major way that they get their music out there and hopefully make some uh, money back. And I think, you know, for people like Taylor Swift, I think it can be really successful or Adele. Uh, Not so much if you're starting out, kind of wonder where the middling people fit. So give us your perspective on how streaming has changed things. It's had a massive impact. Um, I mean, you look at the numbers for the recording industry in general and you you look at where it was heading in the late 2000s and early 2010s even, the numbers for the industry were pretty pretty dire. And then streaming comes along and the numbers have only been going up and up and up. Even during COVID, the recorded music industry was was able to sustain some growth. Now, what does that actually mean, though? That 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 means that there is money being paid for music, which is great. Piracy is down, which is great. More countries around the world, because streaming is so easy, are moving away from piracy. Countries which are traditionally high in piracy, like much of much of Africa, much of Russia, some of the Middle East are now paying for music legitimately. So when you look at it from a global perspective, it's it's a very encouraging trend for copyright owners and for artists. When you look at it from an emerging artist in your local town point of view, that's when it gets really tricky because streaming works globally. Spotify tell us that uh, only 70,000 odd artists make over $5,000 a month from them which sounds like a lot, but you break that down globally, like 200-odd countries, and you've suddenly got way less per country. And then you think about what that really means in Canada, and you've got even less. So um, when you've got major markets like the US and the UK and and, and China coming up, and obviously like the, um, Mexico as well, and, and Brazil, and yeah, those, those markets are, are massive, and Germany. So what does it really mean for... Canadian artists who are trying to make a, a living, it, it, it's incredibly hard to make a living as an emerging artist from streaming. And that's where your live performance has to come in. And if you're not performing live, then you've got to be doing something really interesting on your socials. It's completely changed the industry from that perspective. And I mean, that's where COVID has had the biggest impact on us as a label. We very much were focusing on the more emerging end of our artists 
who are artists who typically get out touring and a lot of the revenues they make are from touring, which a label doesn't touch touring revenues, or at least not in our contracts, and it's very, only in a 360 deal would they or if they has if there's a management agreement with the artist with the um, with the label. So the only thing we make money on is really off stage sales when they sell CDs or vinyl off off the stage, or as a result of people becoming fans and streaming more. So that's where COVID has had the biggest impact on us is that we just haven't had those live shows, so there hasn't been the merch sales. So we are. And and that's a pretty significant amount when you consider, you know, thirty dollars on a vinyl. Yes, I mean, it costs a fair chunk of that to make it to start with as well. But it's still a different scale of money compared to one single stream, which is four tenths of a cent coming back to the label. So, uh, well, two tenths of a cent coming back to the label. That's the challenge. And so, what that has ended up meaning, I think, and you'll see it across the board, is that labels play the risk game differently it also means that an emerging artist has to be really mindful that they are competing against those 70 odd thousand people ahead of them and if if there's any one of those 70 thousand people aren't signed to a label all of the other labels are going to be headhunting them over anyone below that point and if you know that an artist is already streaming well then they're because of the algorithms they're pretty much going to continue to stream well it's completely changed the way that a and r works and the way that people think about music it's less less about going to the show and thinking that oh they've got real potential here it's about they're already proving their worth the risks are low we can invest in this and and reap the benefits so for us that's that that creates its own challenges as well because i mean obviously we we don't have the might and the capital that those bigger labels have so it's really hard for us to go into those conversations and and um and to bring in some of those bigger artists so over covid we've been trying we've been reworking the way that we do our deals focus more on the fact that physical sales are down and we're focusing more on how we can provide value without those advances which we need capital for so i guess as far as the the artist is concerned if all of the labels are, are looking at those people those seventy thousand people who are actually making a what more than you said more than five thousand dollars a month on spotify to see how many of those people haven't been picked up so that would impact the way you know you look at artists that may be you know interested in in getting onto fallen tree records unfortunately it does it's incredibly costly to move artists up that ranking and that's the other thing with the streaming era is is like yes it's become easier easier than ever to get your music out there and distribute it you can sign up for a distro kid account or a tune account or cd baby whoever you want to use and get your music out and that means that more tracks are being uploaded per week than ever before which means there's more artists out there hoping to make a living than ever before but that really just means that at the lower end of that massive ranking some some artists struggle to get you know even five streams in a week and that's demoralizing for everyone we've got to look at the positives though which is that we're still in the early days of what streaming can really do there hasn't really been much exploration around the local end of it. And I think there's, we're going to see more and more local focus from streaming services. And we're beginning to see that, like Spotify has now launched their city charts. They're not particularly inspiring because, of course, at the moment, <laughs> the way everything is shaped is that everyone listens to the same stuff because everyone's listening to the main playlists on, on those platforms. I'm optimistic that we'll start to see again a little bit more um, variation and a bit more cultural interest between cities. It's very interesting looking at 
the different approaches that Spotify is taking compared to Apple Music and how Amazon is approaching it to. I mean, those are the big three. And, of course, YouTube, at least in, in the Western world. Spotify has really gone the algorithmic route and they really trust their numbers. They're much more interested in putting music into your playlists that they are fairly confident you're going to like. Whereas Apple Music has gone the other route of human curation, less machine learning. But that as a result, though, it means that they're not offering as wide a range of artists. So I think you'll find typically on an Apple Music playlist, it picks from a smaller range of artists than if you look at a Spotify list. The Spotify list, as a result, can be quite interesting and you can get into one of those algorithmic playlists by some smart playing around with similar artists. But the other thing that we have, which is also changing, is that streaming is no longer restricted to listening to a full track purposefully. Like We have to also include Facebook and TikTok um, Instagram stories, where those are they are paying revenue to labels for the music use. So if you if you hear a piece of music in the background of a TikTok, that artist that label is getting money, and that is changing that conversation as well. Because as those revenues begin to increase, it's going to change the shape of how we even think about streaming. Like is is a, is a is a user generated TikTok as valuable to an artist as one single stream on Spotify? Not at the moment, but potentially if that tiktok is shared and it's enough people see it then yes it suddenly becomes massively um, more than a single stream yeah i mean it's a very fluid industry yeah i was i was having trouble getting my mind around all that it's like you know and i just do radio but um <laughs> it, it means that from a label's point of view though that you know that you really have to decide where you spend your time for the individual artists because again different artists you will probably want to promote different ways. Um, you know, Absolutely. maybe someone like Vivian Wilder might get promoted somewhat differently from Boomerang, the Montreal folk trio, electro folk trio. Yeah, no, that's a great example, actually. I mean, like Boomerang, we did a very traditional marketing plan with marketing rollout. We really targeted folk DJs, and as a result, they got into the, the top 20th folk DJ list. I can't remember exactly what the ranking was, but where we knew the listeners would be and where we we felt that we could build that growth and interest in them. Vivian, like you say, there's not a group of DJs that we can target in the same way like folk DJ. Um, and so, for, sorry, the folk DJ list is like a North America primarily assemblage of, of DJs who report weekly or after their shows, what they've played and what they've included in their shows. And it gives a really good indicator of what is bubbling under and then it's compiled by the folk alliance team as well into a chart once a month yeah so vivian obviously there isn't a group of djs in that same way we all the campus stations are, are a primary target they're organized in a very different way and they chart very differently so doing a campaign more focused on streaming makes a lot more sense for her so yeah we won't be doing the same kind of cd mail out that we did for boomerang for example there won't really be a cd mail out for so with a, with a band like Boomerang, though, I mean, do you feel like that this is still an area that Fallen Tree Records will will want to focus then? I mean, yeah, you know, their music is great. And I think that, you know, they the way that they they managed to bring a different flavor to the traditional really works. We also did do digital stuff with, with them, but I guess we with anything folk based, you can do a little bit more of the CD focus um, and really focus on on that end of marketing plan it is definitely something that we will still be working
That's Montreal electrofolk trio Boomerang, with Searching for Lambs, followed by Jock Brown's 70th from their wonderful debut album, Echoland, which came out in 2021 on Fallen Tree Records. Peter Chapman, founder of Fallen Tree, is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. So let's talk about the other things you do, because one of the albums that you put out a couple of years ago was actually a holiday album, a fabulous holiday album from Silent Winters from Ottawa. They are Elenka Bastian and Jonathan Chandler. They describe it as intimate fireside folk for the Mm -hmm. holidays, which I think really fits. Their album was entitled Christmas Morning. We're actually going to play the title track of that album shortly because it's an original song. But when something like this comes along, I mean, this is is very much just a, a niche that you see when you pick up an album like this. I was so impressed with their album, The Duke Hotel. It's so beautiful. And they've just put out a, a new stop motion video, actually, for one of the songs from that. Just so impressed with their sound and the way they harmonized. And it made you feel warm, even though there was so little production there. Like, it was just a really, really nicely done. And so when we were having conversations with them, it, it was early in 2019. And I was kind of joking, well, your name is Silent Winters. And, and I thought, you know, as a label, it would be it's good to have a Christmas album because it's perennial, you know, people come around to it all the time. And they had already done a Christmas recording that the year, the 2018, I guess it would have been, um, they put out a, a video for a, a song, a Christmas song. And so they already had that seed in their mind anyhow. So they, they were kind of totally on board on doing a Christmas album. And so that's kind of where it came from. Fingers crossed we can make something work with them actually non-Christmas based in 2022. Just get me home by Christmas 
Hi there, this is Ellen Fraze, and you're listening to Folk Roots Radio with Jan Hall. That's Silent Winters with their original song, Christmas Morning, the title track of their fabulous 2019 holiday album that came out on the wonderful Fallen Tree Records. Peter Chapman from Fallen Tree Records is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today, chatting about the label and the music. We've been having a fascinating conversation about streaming versus CDs and vinyl and, you know, talking about some of the artists on the label. I was going to ask you, Peter, about vinyl because, you know, people talk about the the vinyl resurgence. Believe me or not, there are one or two people that talk about the cassette resurgence, (laughs) although having lived through them the first time and had so many chewed up, I'm not sure that I would be wanting to promote them. But vinyl has definitely made a comeback. I, with my older eyes, I have to say it's kind of nice to look at a vinyl sleeve again and, and read without having to pull out a magnifying glass to, to look at a CD. Uh, are you finding that, you know, vinyl is working for you now as an alternative to CDs? So I, I have the same emotional connection with vinyl. Like it is, it is that experience that you get with vinyl. Like there's something about having to physically get up and move and move the needle and then flip the side. And when you want to play the track, you have to kind of study it, like turn the light on really close and work out where the groove is. And like, there's, it, there is something so engaging with listening to vinyl. So it's something that we always wanted to be involved in. And so we've done vinyl releases since 2019, since since our, since our first releases and reissues, because we, we put out 100 Mile House's um, Hareff on vinyl as one of our first signings. It was a reissue as a result, because that came out in 2016 originally. Yes, there is definitely a resurgence. I mean, the, the interesting thing with vinyl is, again, it's it's going the way the streaming is. Like when you hear that Adele may create massive delays in vinyl manufacturing because she's ordering hundreds of thousands of records, you suddenly realise that hey, this is skewed again. Yes, people are buying vinyl. Unfortunately, people are buying one or two pieces of vinyl from the top artists still. So for, again, for the emerging artists or for those who aren't in that top tier. It's a lot harder to still get that shelf space in the record stores and to sell those those units. And because vinyl is so expensive to manufacture and then ship, for us, it really is more about the experience and about offering that merchandise for the artist to the to their real fans. It's about building fan base. My personal hope when people buy a vinyl is that they buy the vinyl and then they go home and listen to it on their favorite streaming service on repeat because then we get money both ways. And, and by we, I mean the artists too, because unfortunately vinyl ends up being pretty much a, a break-even proposition. Like you'd have to be charging, well, and I know some people do charge 50 bucks for the vinyl, but you'd have to be charging about that to, for the artist yeah. to really be doing well. But it does look great on a merchandise table. Yeah, I mean, any artist who, it just looks good as well. Like it, it yeah. gives an artist amount of legitimacy and it just, yeah, it's an amazing thing. And like with Joan Olin's recent album, which you started the show with, Scrapper, we did a hundred limited run of hot pink vinyl. There might be a handful left. And then the rest of them, the ones which are actually available in the stores, are just on regular black vinyl. So we wanted something really special for the fans. So that's the route that we did. We, we did some kind of translucent pink um limited edition run and then uh did the black vinyl for everyone else again it just gives a bit of interest gives something gives us something uh unique around it and for those who when they put it out of the sleeve for the first time it gives them a bit of a shock and a bit of a delight now i know some people don't like colored vinyl because 
the sound quality, typically um, the, the groove wears out quicker on non-black vinyl. But the experience, again, is, is pretty good. Yeah, it takes me back to my days of split ends, true colors, and wonderful laser-etched vinyl, which I foolishly decided to let go when I moved to North America. That was one of my biggest regrets in life. But there mm-hmm. we are. You know, I, I think it's great. I think it's great that vinyl is has a resurgence. I think it's it's wonderful that, um, you know, one of the other things I do love is packaging. And I know, you know, packaging does has allowed CDs to, to stay a little bit more relevant, again, based on the fan base issue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, picking up a, a box set of music or picking up music that comes with, you know, significant amounts of liner notes perhaps with a book inside i think really does make the product better and i you know again as i mentioned earlier i want to try and keep people you know as you say you know buy the music you can stream it at the same time but uh also consider buying it let's talk a little bit about the future what sort of things are you watching as you move forward into 2022 so from a from an industry point of view i think it really is trying to get people aware that streaming works but they have to be conscious with it from a, from an industry point of view I, I really want people to be conscious about what they're listening to a little bit more i think some of the lean back listening that we're doing at the moment where we just kind of ask alexa to play you know dinner music it means that some artists are getting paid but it really isn't supporting your local artistic community uh, yeah I'd, I'd like people to be a little bit more engaged in that full process and i mean i the i mean radio is an interesting one because i mean like We've always kind of relied on a curator with radio, and that's a, that's a, an amazing thing. But what we've had before is that local sense around it. The algorithms and the bots are, are taking that away from us, and so we're not getting that that kind of local flavor when we ask for these playlists at the moment. Now that might change, but so I just want I would I would encourage people to be a bit more mindful on, on what they're listening to, and also from a, a gender and a diversity point of view, like um, the algorithms really continue the the stream of bias against minority groups. If you've been listening to a, a, a playlist, an algorithmic playlist, and you're wondering why it's 95% male, well, it's because that's what historically people have listened to, and, and we've got to kick that over. We have plans to be putting out some of our own playlists, which will be kind of mood-based, and, and which will hopefully be, because we, are, we, are, uh, we only have Canadian artists, we'll be Canadian-focused, and we'll hopefully give people kind of that mindful playlist options if they are looking for music for certain periods of their day. So they should be coming out before um, or early next year. Then artistically, we've got the Vivian Wilder project you've talked about. We've got a couple of other projects which are kind of in the studio or about to be in the studio. So I, I don't really want to talk too much about those. But then 100 Mile House has been their album Love and Leave You came out right at the beginning of the pandemic like in March, <laughs> kind of that 2020 was all was all planned out with some pretty big releases for that early part. And of course, everything was all of the touring was cancelled and many of the plans went, went awry. So Love and Leave You for 100 Mile House was late March. And of course, everything shut down the beginning of March. So everyone was really not thinking about music releases at that point. DJs weren't getting into radio stations. It was very hard to get radio play. So we really wanted to give that album another shot. And so the thing we've got coming up is we've got a new single which is a cover of always on my mind the Woody nelson song um which will be out early next year and then they also did a whole load of live videos from of songs from the album so we're going to be putting those out on the youtube channel um over the next few weeks over the next few months sorry 
which will really celebrate that album and hopefully re-engage people with Love and Leave You because how they left it, I mean, 100 Mile House really are very open and honest and they have their hearts on their sleeves and you can hear that in their songs. So Haref was, was very much, their 2016 album was very much about their struggles to start a family and what strains were that it was putting on their relationship as a partnership. And and even if you, if you, even if you don't struggle with starting a family, you still have so many things to relate to around the relationship and on that. Now that they have a, a child, London, Love and Leave You looked more at the other end of, of life, of, of looking back and, and also still finding a struggle and finding yourself when you've got a child and a child becomes almost the only thing that you talk about as a couple. And how do you still have you time? Like, how are you still a, a couple unit? And it talks about some of those times when we feel most alone, even though we've got this great family unit that works amazing. So yeah, it's a, it's a, an, I think it's a, an album which many people will be able to relate to if they uh, if they give it a chance and, and are exposed to it. It is a fan, um, it is a fantastic album. I absolutely love it, and, and I have to say, I, I think the music that Peter Stone and Denise Mackay have produced over the years, all of their albums are great. We're actually going to finish with the title track from "Love and Leave You," which has a, I think, a special meaning for you as well, doesn't it? Well, as I said, the album came out right at the end of end of March, and the week before it came out, my my mum actually passed away. Um, in the in the UK, and I haven't been back yet, which has made this pandemic extra hard, I think. Um, but as I said, like with the idea of falling tree in itself, it's about kind of finding new life in the fallen and and how music can heal and for me the love and leave you really helped me through some of that it, um, every time i hear that song it um it reminds me that everything is is temporary and but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have an impact just because it's temporary yeah it's a beautiful song and uh beautiful way to finish this interview and uh, peter i wanted to thank you for for sharing those words with us you know one of the things that peter stone says himself was love and leave you was a phrase that his grandfather would say as he departed family gatherings and i want to wish everybody out there uh, a wonderful new year and uh 2022 i'm looking forward to more great music from fallen tree records and all of the other labels that support folk roots radio we're going to leave you with the title track from the wonderful 100 Mile House album, Love and Leave You. You've been listening to Folk Roots Radio with Peter Chapman from Fallen Tree Records, and I'm Jan Hall. Thank have you, Jan. Thanks for the time. Have a safe and prosperous new year, everyone. The table where we used to eat When family came, we'd stop and speak Christmas time would be our room There'd be plates on knees with a fork or spoon and Children passed out on the floor Wrapping paper door to door The older kids get to stay up late Pretend they're grown-ups, they can't wait We're never grown-ups, they can Let's walk the dog one last time 
around this neighborhood I once called mine. I hate to leave, but we just can't stay. So I'll love and leave you here today. I'll love and leave you here today. The sound of cars That East London rain that stops and stops Making promises you know we won't keep Let's do Easter maybe for the week Brothers, sisters fight their fights Back then a simple wrong or right But they grew apart, can't remember when Heavy hearts got the best of them. The heavy hearts took the best of them. Let's walk the dog one last time round this neighborhood I once called mine. I hate to leave, but we just can't stay. So I'll love and leave you here today. I'll love and leave you here today. Granddad play those tunes When the saints go marching two by two When the saints go marching two by two Let's walk the dog one last time Round this neighborhood I once called mine I hate to leave but we just can't stay I'll love and leave you here today I'll love and leave you here today